This bonus series was launched in cooperation with Six Swiss Exchange. It focuses on the companies that completed the first Sparks IPO Academy course, a six-month fast-track IPO training program designed for high-potential scale-ups. One day on a Saturday morning, uh, the ring bell at home uh, rings, uh, and Carlo was at the door, and then he told me, I, I saw in the newspaper that you have nothing to do. <laughs> what about uh, uh, joining, helping me out? Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Michele, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sylvan. It's a pleasure for me to be here and contribute to entrepreneurship in Switzerland. You're a guy from Ticino with a big passion for entrepreneurship. Before we talk about your multiple projects, I actually want to start with your personal background. You studied food science and biotechnology at ETH in Zurich. Back then, was entrepreneurship on your mind at all? Well, well, it, uh, I grew into it uh, during my PhD thesis. Um, um, of course, at that time, we are talking about 1989, 1990, uh, there was not a, a process for people that wanted to start a company. But uh, at that time, uh, just during the PhD thesis, I thought, well, there might be some opportunities uh, to translate my, my work, my knowledge in biotech, actually into food. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then uh, with a few friends, uh, decided to start this uh, company uh, called SAM, Sensory and Analytical Measurement was the first name, SAM, actually, we called. Nice. And um, the... Um, a spin-off idea at that time consisted in a feedback from my um, uh, professor, Professor Fichter, that told me, well, if you want to start a company, I think it's a good idea. Here you have a table, here you have the phone, you can stay <laughs> here three months and then make sure that you make some money and you can go and grow the company outside of my institute. Well, that's a very pr- pragmatic way of getting started, right? Yeah, it forced you to be... Uh, very efficient from the beginning (laughs) and look at every single cent because um, then I found a partner, we found a little bit of money, but we are talking about uh, 50,000 starting Mm. uh, capital. So that's how I started, 1990. And what happened then with your first venture that basically came out of ETH Zurich? Yeah, I remember that uh, sitting at the table and uh, thinking, okay, actually I have an idea, but uh, as uh, I was a student, I was a PhD scientific worker. Um, I work in a field that was not really my business proposition that I had in mind. There was, of course, some similarity because the idea was at that time to... um, deliver predictive modeling to the food industry. Today, of course, uh, this stuff is called something else. Uh, It's called uh, AI or machine learning or whatever. Uh, But at that time, it was predictive modeling. Uh, So basically, out of biological system, uh, use uh, similar algorithms to predict uh, consumer behavior. And um, 
Yes, and I was there sitting and, okay, but how do I sell? How do I sell now? Right. Um, of course, there was no, uh, no iPhone, no phone, no mm -hmm. mobiles. Uh, we had we a, had uh, how is it called, a Macintosh, these little boxes uh, with a minuscule screen. And uh, yes, I just produced a, a presentation, um, printed out, Bind it and then uh, started cold calls. So the first company that I called was Cope. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then Nestle and then uh, the other company. And of course, at the beginning, um, I, um, I, I had, of course, a tough time, but it's uh, something that uh, then at the end makes you get every day a better person. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, uh, the, one of the key elements was to find the right uh, partners. Uh, I found a partner that also then invested and was my um, co-shareholder in the company, mm -hmm. in the industry. He opened a few doors. Um, and then we had a partnership with an American company. So that's where then things started to get going. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but I started as a one-man show and then grew uh, over the years, the company, at the end, uh, with a multiple um, uh, site, uh, we were at eight different um, locations in Europe, about wow. 60 people. Yeah, That's, that's the, an that's impressive journey. growth journey. Yeah. yeah, I love that because of multiple aspects. First of all, the very pragmatic start, as you mentioned before, ETH saying, here you have an office, here you have a phone, let's just get started. Now... You have to make it work to actually pay for your own bills. But then also for you to basically take like a second education doing the cold calls and just jumping into the cold water and actually learning how to sell. I think that's a very powerful lesson to be to be learned there. Absolutely. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to be a salesman first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Then later on, after that company, um, you know, you also switched to the CEO role of multiple companies like Navy Boot or Orel Fiesl Italia. And how do you actually manage this transition from having your own company to becoming the CEO of companies that you didn't start yourself? Was that easy for you? Well, first of all, when I decided to switch, I was about in the middle of my business career when I decided to change, right? Uh, I could have continued another 20 years, uh, the, same, uh, the same business, uh, grew it, um, maybe pass it in the family. Uh, right. But I decided that uh, in life I wanted to see other stuff. Uh, so that's when I exited. Um, uh, Sam, actually I exited with an exit which was a, um, selling to my partner. Uh, so, um, and then uh, the plan was let's do something else. Mm -hmm. Let's do something else from consulting, from uh, working in B2B business with, uh, with uh, big partners. Uh, we had a lot of clients worldwide, mostly food, fragrances, mm -hmm. um, a few, uh, a few. Um, partners also in the shoe business, like Nike at that time. Um, yeah, then I wanted to go into another uh, world, in the world of uh, B2C, business to consumers. And retail, of course, is the place uh, where you, one can go. By chance, at that time, um, I met Bruno, uh, Bruno Bencivenga, uh, the owner with his brother of Navy Boot. We liked each other. And then that's how it uh, then started uh, working with him. Um, 
and helping to uh, to build up the brands, the company, uh, with the focus in my case on the outlet stores. Mm-hmm. And then, as usual, uh, you make a plan, but uh, life tells you something else. <laughs> uh, there was this transition that happened, uh, and uh, of course, it was such a good transition from the seller side that mm. uh, has to be done. Right. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's when I change again. And since I like challenges, I went into the book business, first of all, because uh, I love education, I love learning. It's uh, one of my passion to learn every day. Mm-hmm. So books is the place to be if you want to learn. Um, and I like the challenge because, of course, the book business at that time, and probably not, today is not better, is a very difficult place. Um, Amazon has a big competitors. Uh, but uh, managed to build up uh, together, of course, with partners, because you never do it alone. A company that then merged with uh, Orel Fusli, mm-hmm. um, which was, of course, uh, made a lot of sense. Uh, and the company is still there, it's still growing, so probably something <laughs> went well. Absolutely. And then I changed again, because I wanted to change again. <laughs> Before we talk about the next change, I just wonder, you know, after your CEO experience, did that feel any different to you from being employed as a CEO and running the companies by technically being the boss, right, of the company versus having your own company that you actually co-founded and started? Did that feel different in any way? Yes, it is different uh, on on one end, but on the other end, you always say, serve the shareholders. And uh, if it's your company, you serve yourself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and if you have another company uh, where you are CEO, and maybe you have also a minor stake, but still you are serving shareholders. And that's what you have to do as a CEO. Did you like one more than the other, or are they quite comparable? Oh, I like everything I do. Okay. Then you did the next switch, the next transition. So you sold a few companies, you've been CEO of a few companies, and today you're basically focusing on being an active investor and also an entrepreneurial board member or chairman in some cases. So what role do you prefer in that regard, you know, being the founder or the operator as CEO or the investor today? Well, what I love and I like, and probably you got it a little bit looking at my CV and my life, is diversity. Um, I don't like to be uh, uh, in a corner and having a purely linear career. That's why change and uh, going large and not deep is uh, one of the fundamentals of my way of operating. So I like, I, I love my life. I, love, uh, I like every day. Uh, that's uh, independent of what I do. I put mm-hmm. uh, my energy, my passion, my fire. And so I like everything I do. And if I don't like it, I don't do it. You change again, right? You move yeah. to the next thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I went back into more agile companies. Yeah. Uh, and this is the place where I am now. Uh, where I will be tomorrow, I c- can tell you tomorrow, <laughs> not today. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's the way I am, and the way I like to operate. Uh, and I would encourage everybody to be uh, as large as possible in the mindset, as flexible, as open as possible, and then things happens. Is it fair to say that you? followed your curiosity that you always wanted to learn something new. You mentioned before that this is so important to you and therefore also chose your projects, your companies to get involved in 
that way that you wanted to learn and grow as a person? Yeah, yeah. This is uh, being curious is uh, is key. Is key. Being curious is key. Um, key is also uh, taking risks. Of mm-hmm. course, you take risks with this. So if you have, would have a linear career, uh, I wouldn't be here today talking to you guys. And uh, um, but uh, this is part of uh, of it. And then, of course. Uh, nurturing relationships uh, with people, then you come into contact with this, this, this situation, you do an analysis, uh, and then you decide and you go. And then you have to be also a little bit lucky, of course, because you make also mistakes, and I did mistakes, uh, but I learned out of them. Right. I want to focus on one of the companies that you're involved with today. Um, you joined SecureCell in 2016. It's a high-tech life science company with a focus on biotech and medtech. So first of all, how did you get interested in, in SecureCell? How did that get on your radar, on your map? Well, it's a story that has to do with relationship. Uh, actually, the founder, uh, Carlo, um, was at the Institute of Biotechnology mostly in parallel with me. So oh, we nice. knew each other from uh, a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day on a Saturday morning, uh, the ring bell at home uh, rings uh, and Carlo was at the door <laughs> and he told me, I, I saw in the newspaper that you have nothing to do. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, uh, joining, helping me out uh, to... Um, to accelerate growth and to set up the company for the next stage. And then we talked a little bit and and we agreed. Uh, that's one of the venture that I am following right now mm-hmm. at the beginning on a mandate base. And uh, since a few years, actually two years now, uh, mostly full time. What actually sparked your interest? Why did you decide to go and work with SecureCell? Because um, of a few elements that are key in my evaluation matrix, um, the, um, the market and the purpose of the company, uh, which is very noble and uh, it's a, a high motivator to um, develop technologies that help uh, saving lives at the end. Mm-hmm. The company is a supplier in the biotech industry. Uh, the company has also a venture in the um, diabetes type 1 um, uh, field mm-hmm. and um, this is one of the motivation then it's a technological company uh, that was run more with um, engineering perspective and I saw an opportunity to help to scale mm-hmm. uh, which is what's happening uh, at the company right now and then I like the people I liked uh, the um, the settings yeah and we agreed that I could contribute uh, and did that also mean on top of your now full-time role to make an investment in, in the company? Uh, in Secure Cell specifically, not. I have uh, another plan with them, mm-hmm. uh, a mixed incentivization plan. Okay. Um, I didn't invest myself in Secure Cell. And now l- let's also talk about the problem that you solve. You have already said you have multiple product lines or even like streams that you focus on with Secure Cell. I think one of the key products is Seraxess, if I pronounce it correctly. Can you talk a bit more, what is that and, and how do you actually contribute with SecureCell? It's a very innovative technology um, that helps patients with diabetes type 1 mm-hmm. or type 2 uh, where there is no insulin production um, with 
something disruptive. There are solutions for those patients today. Uh, there are so-called artificial pancreas uh, solutions uh, from a few providers on the market, but they don't really solve the problem. They just migrate the problem into the future. You have to talk to patients uh, that have this technology, uh, and then you will understand why. From a technological point of view, the main reason is that the, um, the actual solution, they work they don't work in the blood. And uh, nature is here the guidance uh, of mm -hmm. everything. And uh, uh, the, a working um, pancreas, uh, of course, interact with the blood directly. And the technology of secure cell has the ambition and the vision to really work um, online, uh, delay-free into the blood by mm -hmm. measuring real-time uh, blood sugar and delivering in real time the right amount of uh, insulin to have the patient in the right uh, range of blood sugar yeah. uh, 24 hours out of 24. Yeah. And this doesn't exist today. It's a big, big, big jump. Um, uh, it's a big, big, big technological um, challenge uh, because you have to be able to work with um, micro amount of fluidics you have to be able to work real time into uh, the blood. Mm, of course, uh, it's something that not everybody will adopt, um, but um, uh, the business case is quite clear. Uh, by people that will adopt this technology, then uh, the case is uh, very, very interesting, also from a financial point of view, and that's, that's the challenge giving really a benefit and added value to uh, patients that today have no solution and mm -hmm. of course being profitable. Absolutely. And yeah. who will be your customers? Will you sell that directly to the consumers or do you go B2B to someone else and then reach the consumers? Well, there are, uh, as always in entrepreneurship, there are many plans. Yeah. Uh, if we will be uh, the company um, rolling out and executing, there is a first stage in, in ICU, in, in intensive care unit. But um, when we uh, will roll out the final product, it could be in partnership. Mm -hmm. It could be um, penetrating first uh, on a very limited space by ourselves. Uh, but usually the, the channel here is B to D to C, uh, business to doctors to consumers. Okay, yeah. And, you know, you're still developing the product, so it's not sellable yet. When do you expect it to go live and to be used by patients? Well, in less than two weeks, we will have the first uh, interactions uh, with the FDA. Uh, yeah. So, um, and we are very positive and the feedback from previous interactions are also very good. Um, but of course, uh, there are a few, uh, still a few steps to be performed. Um, launch is planned 2025. Uh, the first launch in ICU is a class two medical device, uh, so less regulatory hurdles than other type of, um, uh, of launch. And everything at the moment looks green. We finished animal testing. We finished test um, preclinical testing. All the data looks good. Mm. So now it's, of course, uh, the classical uh, regulatory path that we have to follow. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, manufacturing and launching. Absolutely. But, you know, me coming from the software world, you know, this is an unknown world that it can take a long time to actually develop and ship something. 
that is a big challenge, right, from a company perspective, because you basically also take a big bet that you say, we invest now in this very important, very needed and game-changing product. But at the same time, you don't know if it will actually be sellable three years from now. Well, I think uh, this is the challenge of every entrepreneurship with an idea, with a vision. You don't have the proof. Uh, you have to risk. <laughs> and you have to have, of course, shareholders that accept uh, these risks. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, the leverage is very high if it works. But there is still if. That's a, I believe. <laughs> right. That's a classic high risk, high reward case yeah, to yeah, a certain yeah. degree, right? Yeah. Does that make it more difficult for you to attract investors when you say, hey, this is just different than software, for example, it takes longer? Is that harder to attract investors to join your journey? I wouldn't say it harder. You have to always speak a clear language, being very transparent about opportunities and risks. Uh, and then uh, uh, investing is always uh, having a relationships uh, and the parties has to agree. If the other parties agrees, then we have a deal. If not, we don't have a deal. Right. Next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And are you also able to generate any revenue until you actually finally launch the product? Or is that really you focus on the development, the FDA approval and the whole process? Yeah, the MedTech uh, unit of SecureCell is mm -hmm. uh, not generating revenues. Uh, it's uh, really a cash burning, uh, right. cash burning uh, uh, case. Uh, which is financed by by fundraising, but is also financed uh, from the uh, contribution margins margins delivered by the biotech unit. Yeah. So both units, yeah. and the units are different from the risk profiles. Uh, when we talk to professional investors, on the other end. At the moment, there is still a lot of technological cross-pollination because it's uh, it's a similar case. It's about measuring online, real-time, with very minor amount of uh, sample blood sugar or sugar in, an, in a bioreactor to regulate a process. Yeah. This is not much different. Huh? Right. Another thing I want to talk about is a program that you recently participated in, uh, launched by the Swiss Stock Exchange. It's called Sparks IPO Academy and prepares companies to go public. So first of all, what motivated you to participate in that program with SecureCell? Well, every entrepreneur has to have different plans and different tracks to follow. Uh, so, of course, this is one scenario uh, where you have to be prepared. Um, uh, Six gave this opportunity. Sparks is a good vehicle. Mm -hmm. um, and um, we decided to be part of it and we were invited and selected. Uh, which is, uh, I'm very thankful, because um, the company, in case of, is prepared. Yeah. And it's knows good to, what to do. It's good to have the strategic options available, right? Absolutely. And what are your main takeaways from the program? What did you sort of learn or, you know, see as opportunity coming out of it? Well, there are, of course, many, many, many items that you have to consider when you, when you consider, when you uh, think of uh, going public. Um, so, Putting a catalog now uh, on the table will be a very long podcast. Um, it's important to have a guidance, and uh, uh, that's what uh, the program offers, a clear guidance with clear um, uh, checklists uh, mm -hmm. that you have to tick. 
uh, and uh, in order to be prepared. And of course, one classical, but there are many, one classical when you come into such a plane out of a founder-driven company is governance. Yeah. And uh, this is something that uh, is fundamental, of course, uh, when you go public or if you decide to go public, it should be always. But as a founder, you know that at the beginning, maybe the trade-off between uh, fully governance and uh, being uh, more, entre- let's call it entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's there. So. And you cannot have the same degree of freedom once you are public. This is clear. And this is something that everybody has to understand. I I think even the governments could even help you if you don't decide to go public, to go to a new level, right? To a a more professional level. Yes, totally agree. But what do you think? What companies actually benefit from this Sparks IPO program? Is there any certain vertical or company type or company size that you think would be a good fit? Well, it is, uh, I think that this is an answer that has to be given by the markets and not by me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I encourage, I would encourage everybody to participate uh, sector independent because it's a very good exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, we were a few dozen, I don't remember the exact amount, participated to this program, very diverse. So there is, uh, there is, of course, also some beneficial um, elements uh, in being in such a diverse environment because you know other people, you exchange, uh, and you get a lot of inputs that you can then translate for your problem solving. Yeah, uh, so it's also a really strong network of yeah. good companies in the growth stage, basically. Yes. Now, after the program, what are your next steps? Do you, you know, get more specific about the IPO plans or what do you do now after the program? Well, we have a long list of items uh, to be tackled. Some are uh, less prior uh, to be less prioritized, and mm-hmm. some we do prioritize. So we have a priority list, and uh, starting uh, with the high priority elements, uh, we are uh, uh, doing our homeworks uh, and preparing the company for this potential event, which is not happening uh, next week or next month. Uh, it will take probably more than uh, a few months, probably years, if it happens, but you have to be prepared. Of course. And if you decide to go public, you know, doing IPO on Sparks or the six main market, what do you hope to, to gain from it? Despite, of course, some investor money, obviously, what, what would be the, the benefits of doing that? Well, it's, it brings the company to another level, to a next level, um, with pros and cons for sure. Uh, but uh, one of the key elements is really uh, being able to grow the company and the whole environment to a next level of performance, a next level of uh, pressure also, because mm-hmm. the pressure will be... Uh, is higher, of course, when you're public. Yeah. And this is, uh, these are some key elements uh, of, uh, of then motivating everybody to be even more performant, uh, growing, getting better, yeah. and delivering, because at the end, you have to deliver. Absolutely. Public or not public, it's about delivering. <laughs> True, 100%. <laughs> you mentioned pros and cons. Maybe we can wrap up the IPO part with that. 
what are the biggest pros and the biggest cons from your perspective now of going or preparing to go public? Well, uh, it forces you uh, to discipline. Uh, let's call it governance, but it, it forces you to discipline. It forces you to think about um, um, structure, organization, um, at every level, uh, starting from the board, not mm -hmm. only operation. Um, and uh, these elements are well-thought elements that bring always the company to a next level. And aligned, uh, alone thinking of that uh, is always a benefit. Yeah. Uh, because it forces you to to focus, and of course the cons. Uh, well, uh, when you are public, uh, you are public, so uh, nothing more is private. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you have uh, you have to be uh, a little bit more careful, probably. Uh, the company is in the spotlight. Um, does he have more? Uh, or less or the same um, entrepreneurship uh, spirit. Yes, I think it's possible. But then at the end, um, the risk-taking elements play an important role. You have to explain every single risk that you take. Uh, and if you, uh, if you are public, then of course, uh, there are always somebody that thinks different. Uh, so you are more exposed to controversial um, um, debates, uh, you are in the press, and some people like that. Others prefer it differently. Yeah. So if you like that, no problem. It's a good <laughs> thing to do. If you don't like it, you better don't do it. <laughs> right, yeah. I think that's a good like overview, pros and cons, is everything, right? There's not like a good or bad. It's just yeah. like suitable or not suitable for your journey. Yeah. And uh, it's a choice that you make. Exactly. And having the option is already a good start to being able to choose. Definitely. Now, if you look into the future, what will be your biggest milestones for 2023 and maybe also beyond that? Because I know you're working hard on the FDA approval. So what will be your focus for the next coming months and years? Well, yeah, of course, uh, we have a few milestones. Um, if you talk about secure cell specific, yeah. right? Um, and uh, we look at the Metec um, a unit uh, as I said, the next big milestone is in a few weeks, actually, still mm -hmm. in September. Uh, depending on the outcome, of course, option A, B, or the C uh, is, uh, is relevant. There will be a clinical trial and uh, then finalizing the development in order to have prototyping uh, or alpha uh, products um, being ready to launch 2025. Uh, this plan is actually defined. On the biotech uh, unit of uh, secure cell business, uh, we just signed a huge contract, uh, which is, of course, a great news. Congrats. And uh, thanks. Um, and this is uh, basically now operational excellence and scaling is uh, our focus. Right. And if we focus on, on the medtech part of the business, where do you see that market going over the next five years? What sort of trends do you see emerging and coming up soon? Well, there are a few strategic elements uh, that uh, has to be taken in consideration, and that's where we want to go. Mm -hmm. We want to go with real-time analysis um, close to the patients. Uh, this is different than what is happening today. Today, uh, if you go to, uh, if you are in treatment, um, a blood sample is taken, usually a huge amount of blood is taken. Mm -hmm. 
um, then it goes uh, most of the time also in specialized labs uh, and it yeah. takes hours uh, maybe days until you get a feedback way too long way yeah. too long and our idea is uh, here to be a company delivering system for high frequency data generation with small amount of blood and the first step is um, with um, glucose and lactate in ICU, also in intensive care unit. Mm -hmm. And then you can add other analytes peu à peu, uh, part of, uh, and of course, the expansion and the growth of the company. So that's uh, our vision is to be able to deliver technology for real-time data and, and generation at bedside at the patient mm -hmm. with minuscule amount of blood. Wow. And yeah, then there are so many more applications coming out of Absolutely. that. Fantastic. Yeah. So Michele, to wrap up the conversation, we have some rapid fire questions for you. So we either give you different options to choose from or a short question and you have to answer in one sentence. You ready? I'm ready, but you will be probably <laughs> disappointed by the answer. We'll see. <laughs> Team player or lone wolf? Both. Both? Oh, that's surprising. Why both? <laughs> because it depending on the situation. Right. Uh, sometimes uh, you have to go alone and sometimes you have to uh, be able to be a team player. Actually, personally, of course, I am uh, um, promoting the idea that to win a Champion League, uh, uh, you have to be a team and you have to work as a team. But there are moments where being uh, uh, alone is also satisfactory. So mm -hmm. that's why I say both. I like that. Bootstrapping or fundraising? Same answer. <laughs> Depending. <laughs> Depending. But your personal preference? Yeah, you are forcing me to give an answer I that know, I will yeah. not give. <laughs> if you say both, it's both. Okay, fair point. Five years ago, where do you think you were going to be by now? Because I know you like to change, you like to learn new things. So did you have a plan or something in mind? Yes, I have a plan. I have a life plan. I have a life plan uh, uh, selected or uh, sliced in uh, 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 in three, five, and one hundred years. <laughs> so I had to go back and see what did I write down uh, five years ago. But certainly, I brought down to be a place where I like to be, mm -hmm. a place where I enjoy uh, contributing, and a place where I can grow. I think that's where you are right now. Exactly. Yeah, great. What is the main advantage of being a Swiss entrepreneur from your perspective? Well, to have a fantastic environment um, and uh, settings uh, from every single dimension and being totally privileged to be in this country. Uh, even if, uh, of course, everybody always says that uh, the risk appetite in Switzerland is not very high. If you want, you can also find a solution here. Uh, but everything else is such fundamentally good mm -hmm. to be an entrepreneur that uh, this is a privilege and everybody should be thankful for that. Yeah, and more people should maybe think about starting their own companies. Yeah, I think the trend is... Is there uh, right? What's your word of advice to Swiss companies or founders thinking about going public? Well, 
first of all, do it, plan it, uh, take mm -hmm. advantage of the um, opportunities that's out there. Uh, is uh, the, the the Sparks program from Six is a very good um, opportunity. It's for free. Even better. Even yeah. better, right? Uh, and as an entrepreneur, you would be completely fooled if you don't take these opportunities. Yeah. So uh, go take the opportunity, do your analysis, have a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, and be prepared for all three plans and then execute the one you choose. Right. The last one for you, um, it's not on the list that I sent to you, but I'm just curious, Ticino or Zurich? Both, <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course, both. Uh, the the um, the Ruth, of course, are are uh, from Ticino, and I love this. Uh, I love also here this, um, and I always tell uh, in the environment I am. I am a very uh, structured uh, person of the South, so I have both. I can uh, have a very structured way of operating. But I love also to be um, impulsive and also um, creative and take, mm -hmm. uh, take all the opportunities as they come yeah. and flexible. So you take the best of both worlds, basically. I hope so. Uh, I, at least I feel comfortable. Nice. Michele, thank you so much for coming on the show. Lots of success and many moments of joy with whatever you're building and doing in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Silvan, and the same. To everybody else listening to this podcast, a lot of success, a lot of passion, a lot of fire, and enjoy. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.